In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O God, for this day and for every day that you give us. I ask, O God, that you grant us peace and security. You grant us, O Lord, to know you, O Lord, and to live with you, and to always look our eyes toward heaven and not to this earth, and to seek, O Lord, our eternal benefit and not the earthly one. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Good evening, everybody. God willing, today we're going to continue um, our study in the book of Genesis. Uh, last time we studied in chapters 25 and 26, um, and this time, God willing, we're going to continue starting in chapter 27. Just as a recap of uh, last week, uh, in chapter 25, uh, we spoke about the birth of uh, Jacob and Esau. They were twins um, born from Rebekah and Isaac, and we spoke about um, the conflict that was happening between the two of them, even while they were infants uh, being born, and, um, and, and how um, they became enemies um, with one another later on, and the symbolism between um, how Jacob represents the church and Esau represents the Jews. Um, in chapter 26, we spoke about um, Isaac and his family traveling to the region of Gerar, uh, a region of the Philistines, to escape a famine. Um, and similar to what his father had done twice, um, he lied about Rebecca being his wife and instead said that she was his sister um, and everything that happened um, after that. Okay, so today we're going to start in chapter 27, um, which is uh, Jacob uh, re receiving the blessing and really taking the blessing um, from his father um, before he dies instead of Esau, who was the older son, um, to receive the blessing. Okay? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered him, here I am. Then he said, behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Um, so we know that uh, Esau was a hunter, right? He was the one who would go and he would hunt for food, whereas it's, whereas it's said about Jacob that he was a mild man who dwelt in tents. So he was more of a sedentary, whereas Esau was more of a hunter going out to hunt. And we also know from, uh, from, from I believe it's in this chapter, that, um, the, that his mother, uh, uh, Rebecca, uh, loved uh, I, uh, loved Jacob more, um, but Isaac loved Esau more, okay? Um, so Isaac is now nearing his death, right? And uh, it is customary in the Bible, right, that whenever a father is getting ready uh, to die, like in his final days, he will give a final blessing to his sons, okay? And this final blessing is more than just like well wishes. It's more than just encouragement. It is seen more as like a prophecy, okay? A prophecy and a blessing about what is going to happen in the lives of his children after he is gone, okay? So here Isaac is the chosen 
servant of God. He is the patriarch, right? Servant of God. And his blessing that he gives to his sons is a real blessing. Like it really does impact their lives, makes a difference in the course of their life. So the idea of receiving the blessing of the father is something that's very important and very much desired among the sons. Okay. So it was not like a small thing. It wasn't just a token. It, it, it was a real blessing that was given in the life of his sons. Okay. And um, it was to be given to the eldest son. Okay. So if, if you remember, um, at, you know, when we first spoke about Jacob and Esau, uh, Esau had come in from hunting and he was exhausted and Jacob had made some food and Esau wanted to eat of the food of the stew that Jacob had made. And Jacob being kind of manipulative, he told him, I will give you of the stew, but only if you give me your birthright. Right. And the idea of giving him the birthright is essentially uh, like Jacob is taking the place of the eldest son instead of Esau, right? Jacob is taking his place. Jacob becomes the leader of the family after um, Isaac is dead, right? Um, Jacob receives the blessing, like Jacob becomes uh, what Esau should have been. And at the time, Esau just kind of very lightly, you know, didn't care about his birthright. And he said, yeah, what is my birthright to me? You know, here, you can have the birthright. Just give me the stew, give me the food. And we spoke about how this represented that Esau was very earthly and fleshly. He cared only about the things of the world, about satisfying his desires. Whereas Jacob was caring more about the, the spiritual things, the long-term things. He cared more about something that is of greater importance. And Esau just despised it and didn't care about it at all. So here now we are seeing at the end of the life of Isaac, really where this selling of the birthright um, is going to come back to haunt Esau. Okay. Because all throughout their life, you know, Esau and Jacob, the idea of who had the birthright didn't make much difference, okay? But now at the time when Isaac is, is dying and his life is at an end, this is when who has the birthright, who is to receive the blessing is of, of great importance, okay? So here Isaac, he wants to give the blessing to his oldest son, who is Esau. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. Okay. So as I said before, yeah, it wasn't actually mentioned in this chapter, but in the, in the previous one um, about uh, Jacob and Esau, but even chapter 25, where it spoke about how they had favorites, right? So Isaac loved Esau more and Rebecca loved Isaac more. So here, um, Rebecca sees that there's an opportunity, okay? She, she sees that um, uh, Isaac is about to bless Esau and she overheard this conversation. And now she's concerned, like we have to do something and we have to do it now because if Isaac, if Jacob is to receive the blessing, right? Then, you know, she has to intervene and to do something so that this doesn't happen. Okay, um, so uh, Rebecca thought of a deception, right? She knows that Isaac is blind, 
and she knows that he is, you know, an elderly man and not able to perceive, you know, maybe who is speaking with him. So she is going to pretend. So she's going to have Jacob pretend that he is Esau, right? And that she's going to make the food as though Esau went and hunted the food and cooked it. She's the one who's going to make the food. And then uh, I, uh, Jacob will present it to Isaac as though he is Esau, okay? With the understanding and with the hope that Isaac would bless uh, Jacob instead of Esau, okay? <clears throat> and Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am smooth-skinned. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother and made his mother and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. Okay, so Rebecca is setting the scene here to make Jacob look like Esau, feel like Esau, smell like Esau, right? Because again, Isaac can't see very well, so he won't be able to identify that this is not Esau. He's going to touch him and, she, and he's going to feel... Uh, like the, the roughness, okay, because uh, his, his mother told him um, to, uh, to bring these clothes uh, of Esau and to make him, uh, to put the skin of the goats on his hands, right, and the smooth part of his neck to make him more hairy, just like Esau is, and to cook the food for him and to do everything so that she, he would smell like Esau as well. So he's, he's, she's making him appear like Esau. So he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Right? Because Isaac doesn't recognize who he is, doesn't know. So he wants verification. Who are you? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly? Right? Because he was just talking to him, told him to go out and get the, the food and to hunt it and prepare it. And, and so all of this has happened very fast. And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Isaac is a bit uh, skeptical, right? He feels like it's kind of not, you know, how, how could it have been done so fast? He's a bit skeptical. He wants to feel because... Um, he knows that they feel differently. And, and because he cannot see very well, this is the way that he's going to tell whether he is Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him 
and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Okay? So here, this is the, the main point of this. This is the, the blessing, right? After... You know, um, Jacob convinced Isaac that he was really Esau. And Isaac then felt like, okay, I'm convinced that this is that this is Esau. I'm now going to give him the blessing. And so here is the blessing that he gives. Okay. He says, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren. Let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Okay. And, um, we can understand in this blessing that this blessing is not to be taken literally about Jacob. Because like we said before, uh, when we were speaking about Abraham, is the, 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 the blessing that came to Abraham, Abraham himself did not experience in his lifetime. Like when, when God told Abraham that his descendants would be like the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky, right? Abraham never saw all these descendants. Right. He by the time that Abraham died, he was still a very small, very small family, didn't have all of these descendants. This was something that he believed on in faith that he would receive later that, you know, would happen later on. So also here, when when Isaac is giving this blessing to Jacob, saying, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. This this never happened to Jacob. You know, the, Jacob never became like a king over a large nation and other nations were bowing down to him, actually. Jacob and his family also remained very small, and they uh, actually fled to Egypt when there was a famine in order for them to survive, right? And they lived there for, you know, under the protection of the Egyptians. Um, so, so this part of the blessing um, is, is, is meant to be interpreted in a different way, right? It's meant to be interpreted in a spiritual way, right? Uh, even where it says what, let your mother's sons bow down to you. Um, actually, uh, uh, Jacob was the one who bowed to Esau because after Esau finds out that Jacob stole the blessing from him, he becomes furious and Jacob flees for many, many years. And the next time that he sees Esau, he's coming very humble, prostrating himself before Esau, afraid that he might kill him because of what he had done, right? So even this, the mother's sons bow down to you, we see the opposite happen in his life, Okay. So this is to be taken as a spiritual blessing, okay? Um, St. Irenaeus, he says this. He says, it was not just that the nations have not served Jacob during his life, but he himself, after receiving the blessing, left his home, served his uncle Laban the Syrian for the duration of 20 years. Not only did he not become a master to his brother, but he bent and bowed before Esau, his brother upon his return from Mesopotamia to his father's house, presenting him with many gifts. Add to all this the manner in which he inherited plenty of grain and wine here, he who immigrated to Egypt because of the famine that befell the land where he dwelt and submitted himself to Pharaoh who ruled Egypt at that time. So again, saying, saying the same thing, that Jacob did not receive this as a physical blessing in his life. Instead, it was symbolic and prophetic blessing that is realized in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, this is the one who is to come from him, his descendant that is to be the Messiah. He is the one that we can apply all of these blessings to. Okay, St. Augustine, he said, the blessing of Jacob is the proclamation of Christ to all nations, which is realized now. Isaac is the law and the prophecy, right? So Isaac is prophesying here. This is a prophecy where Isaac is prophesying the coming of the Messiah from Jacob. And this is really what it means for Jacob to have this blessing and to have this birthright, right? It means that the covenant that God made with Abraham and Isaac is to be continued in Jacob, not in Esau, okay? So when he's saying, let people serve you, it's speaking about the world, the world that serves the Lord, right? The world, world that bows down, all nations bow down to you, bowing down to the Lord, worshiping the Lord, right? That, that God is a master over all, that everyone will bow down to him and that everyone who curses the Lord will be cursed and everyone who blesses the Lord will be blessed, okay? Because, because Jacob is, is simply the ancestor of the one who is to come, who is receiving directly all these blessings, okay? Despite the deception, right? This is, this is despite the deception. You know, like if you read in the... If you read in the in the church fathers um, about Jacob, it's sometimes almost surprising because while on the face of it, like you know, we've spoken before about how we interpret scripture and how we understand scripture. When we when you look at everything here in a literal sense, you see that Jacob is to be blamed for a lot of things, right? He he deceived his brother when he took the blessing, right? Obviously, that was wrong. He um, manipulated his, his brother uh, before whenever he uh, took the birthright from him uh, for the, the, the bowl of stew, right? So Jacob certainly has not been a model brother or a model believer or, or you know, he, he's made many mistakes. And, and like we said before, his name even means deceiver, okay? Um, but, but when you read the church fathers, right, about Jacob, they see in him the fulfillment of prophecy, right? not so much the, the weak actions of an individual. And we also see how God even used the, the wrong choices and the wrong actions of Jacob in order to fulfill the prophecy, right? And that and Jacob represents um, the, the spiritual line, like the, the son of promise, the, the covenant of God. Whereas in Esau, he represents the worldly desires. He represents the worldly kingdom. He represents um, those who have nothing to do with God, right? Esau is the one who married into uh, pagans, like he married pagan wives, right? Whereas Jacob, his mother told him, do not marry the pagan wives, but instead go and marry from among your own people, right? So so from, from the spiritual perspective, we look at the two and we see that God is fulfilling his promises through Jacob, and Esau has been rejected, right? Even though the way that this came about was largely because of Jacob's sin, because of things that Jacob did wrong. But this is the outcome. This is the way that God used these situations in order to produce the outcome that he wanted in the end, okay? So the church sees this event and this blessing as symbolic of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jacob actually represents Christ, right? In that um, the, the church fathers speak about how he took the clothes of Esau, right? So Esau represents like the human nature, represents the, the, the world, right? 
And so Jacob, by putting on the garments of Esau, of course, this isn't what was in Jacob's mind, obviously, when he was doing this, but as, as, as a prophecy, right? Um, when, when Jacob took the clothes of Esau and put it on him, it was like the Lord Jesus Christ putting on the human flesh, right? Putting on our nature, um, being incarnate, right? Christ put on our nature and he put on our sins just as Jacob put on the clothes of Esau on himself, okay? This is the way the church sees this event, right? Now it happened, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had finished, uh, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Okay, so just immediately after um, Jacob departs, after receiving the blessing, Esau now arrives wanting to take the blessing from his father after his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and I have blessed him and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me also, my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken your blessing away. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob for he has supplanted me these two times and he, has, and he took away my birthright and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Right. So so Esau, you know, and Isaac, they understand now that Jacob had deceived them both. Right. And 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 as I said before, like Esau is now having to bear the consequence of the decision that he made before, which was to give up the birthright. Right. Of course, it, it, it came about through the deception of Jacob. Right. But this is something that God allowed. God allowed Jacob to be the one to receive the blessing and not to expose him for what he had done because, because Esau had given up his opportunity, had given up his birthright. He had gone a different path. He chose to marry pagans. He, 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 he didn't care about the spiritual things. He didn't care about, his, care about his birthright. And now all of a sudden at the end, he, we find him caring. This can remind us a lot of you know, the way that we choose to live our lives. You know, a lot of times when we're young, we live our lives a certain way. We make certain decisions. We feel like we are invincible, invulnerable. We live forever. And maybe in our mind, the things of God are the last things on our mind. And all we care about is making a path for ourselves, making a way, making a living, enjoying our life, and so on. Um, and for many, that is the goal of life. And yet when you fast forward many years into the future, and you see that same person now who is old, nearing the end of their life, and they look back at their life and they wonder, you know, all the decisions that I made and all the things that I have done, what benefit am I now going to have from these things? You know, and for someone who was a believer at the end of their life, looking forward into eternity and to say, you know, what really is the most important thing? You know, am I going to regret the way that I lived my life at that moment? Am I going to remember all my decisions and regret what it is that I've done? 
or am I going to look back in my life and say, I made use of every moment. I made use of every opportunity. I they spent my life pleasing God and desiring to be with God and repenting of my sins and seeking my eternity. And this is the way that I lived and I'm not ashamed and I'm not afraid. And it's, it's important for us to ask these questions. You know, someone from a spiritual perspective, someone like Jacob in a spiritual sense, who even when they're young, they're caring about the end. They're caring about the birthright. They're caring about the future. They're planning ahead. They, they want to be pleasing to God in all things. Um, and they want to secure their spiritual life in the future. This is someone who, though being young, is going to live wisely, is going to make good decisions, is going to be careful what they say, be careful what they do, um, seek counsel, seek advice, like listen to advice and counsel, right? Someone who, who, who wants to choose rightly, not someone who just wants to follow their impulses, their passions that are in the moment, but someone who really wants to live for God. Whereas um, somebody like Esau, who lived his life as he chose, and he did what he wanted. Now at this moment, when he is kind of, it's a moment of reckoning for him, where he is standing and now he realizes the consequence of the decisions that he made, the way that he chose his life, that now the blessing is not his, that the covenant is not his, that he is no longer in the line of the patriarchs, that he is not someone who is going to continue this covenant that had happened with his grandfather Abraham. So we, we pray and we ask God that he would reveal to us early in our lives and convict us early in our lives that we want to um, live a life that is pleasing to God and that we have our priorities straight and we have the right worldview and understanding of the world and the, the temporary nature of this world and the eternal nature of the next so that we do not make choices like Esau fall into the same trap that Esau fell into and find ourselves at the end of our lives having wasted and squandered, you know, all the time that we had. Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? Remember, the blessing is not simply well wishes. You know, if it was just encouragement and well wishes, then Isaac could have said, Yes, God be with you, my son. Esau, God prosper you. God make you a great nation. You know, he's, he's just giving him encouragement and well wishes, right? That's not what this is. This is a prophecy, okay? And, and the prophecy is, to, for it to be a true prophecy, this is what actually is going to happen, right? So with Isaac, he prophesied that, that um, Jacob would be a mighty people, that he would, uh, that people would serve him, that people would bow down to him, that, that the Messiah would come from him. So what about Esau now? What is left for Esau? When, when, uh, when Esau is asking him, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Like, is there nothing left for me? What is it for me? Right? And so here Isaac is saying, like, what shall I do now for you? What is it that is left for you? I have already blessed him. I have already prophesied this prophecy about him. And Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing? My father, bless me, me also, oh my father. And Esau lifted his voice and wept. Okay. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you, you, you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. 
right? Again, these are prophetic words. Um, Jacob, from Jacob is going to come the 12 tribes of Israel, which is going to be a mighty nation, very powerful, God with them, okay? The people of God. And from Esau is going to come what? The Edomites, the people of the land of Edom, who become the enemies of Israel, who are pagans and worship other gods, who are um, very weak in comparison with the nation of Israel, okay? So, so again, this is this is a prophecy. He's saying, by by your sword you shall live. You know, you're going to live in conflict. You're going to live in battle. You're going to live in war, and you will be subservient to Israel, okay? And you will break free from him, and you will you will you will be independent of him, right? But you will, but for a time you will be serving him, okay? And it said also in verse thirty nine, um, essentially you're going to be living off the fatness of the earth and from the dew of heaven. So. It's like you're going to be a wild. You're going to be not like um, living indoors. You're going to be living outdoors in tents, like, you know, kind of nomadic, right? So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Okay, so he hates his brother for what he did. He is plotting his death, but he wants to wait till after the days of mourning for his father are done. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you, meaning he is going to take revenge on you to make himself feel better about what it is that he has done. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to, her, to, flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Remember, Haran is the place where um, that Abraham was living prior to coming to Canaan. So originally, Abraham and Sarah were living in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is in the land of Babylon. Then they, they were called by God to come to Canaan. So they first traveled to Haran, and they lived there for some time. And then they moved from Haran to Canaan, and a lot of the remaining part of their family remained in Haran. Okay? So... Um, so Rebecca here is telling Jacob, go and flee back to our family. Go back to Haran, where our family is. Uh, go to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? Okay, so she wants to protect him. And here when she is saying, go there uh, for a few days, you know, well, this few days ended up becoming 40 years, right? And actually, Rebecca never saw her son again. So he stayed there for a very long time. It wasn't just a few days and he returned. He did eventually return and he did eventually meet with Esau again. And we'll speak about that later when we speak about that meeting. Um, but for now, he is getting ready to leave everything behind out of fear of his life from Esau and go to the back to Haran again. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Um, so if you remember when Abraham wanted Isaac to get married, he told his servant, do not let Isaac marry here because here in the land of Canaan, this is the women there, are, our Canaanites are pagans. And instead, go to 
Haran from someone from his own family and choose someone there to be his wife, which ended up being Rebecca. So essentially, Rebecca now is concerned about her own sons because Esau already married from the land, the daughters of the land, the Canaanites, the, the, the daughters of Heth, okay? Um, and now she is worried that Jacob will do the same thing. So she, she's saying to, to Isaac, um, I don't want Jacob to take an, a, a wife from the daughters of Heth, right? Because what good will my life be to me? Like she will like, she will like lose all hope if, if, um, if he does so. Okay. So that's chapter 27. Okay. In chapter 28, we see something that happens to Jacob as he is traveling now um, to, uh, to Haran. Um, it's the famous image of Jacob's ladder, uh, which we'll read about in this chapter. Okay. So it says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and charged him, and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethul, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Okay, so... When you go and you escape to go to Haran, also look for a wife there to marry. Okay. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Okay, so here, this blessing that Isaac gives, okay, uh, to uh, Jacob, he's saying, may God bless you, make you fruitful, multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples, give you the blessing of Abraham, right? Because he is continuing the covenant of Abraham. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Bedan Aram to take himself a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Also Esau saw the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Isaac went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, and the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife, in addition to the wives that he had. So, um, you know, like Esau is trying to please his parents. He sees that they are against the wives that he has taken from the daughters of Heth, the pagan women. And so and they see that he, they want Jacob to marry someone from his own family. So um, Ishmael is from another line of family. Remember, Ishmael is the son of Abraham with Hagar, right? The, the, the servant, right? And so he had uh, Ishmael with with her. So it's another branch of their family. Uh, so here Esau went and took a wife from the daughter of Ishmael. Okay. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So you can see here Beersheba uh, where they were and Haran where they lived before. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. 
Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So see, God is confirming the blessing that Jacob received from his father, right? Before Isaac was the one that was carrying this blessing and this covenant. Now that Isaac has died, he passed this covenant, this blessing to his son, Jacob. This is why God is now revealing these things to Jacob, because Jacob is the one who has received this blessing and not Esau, okay? So Jacob sees this dream, this very famous dream that we speak about um, and that we have icons about in the church, right? The, in this dream, Jacob sees this ladder and there are angels that are moving up and coming down the ladder. And the Lord God is at the very top of this ladder. And he appears there at the top and he speaks uh, this renewal, this renewing the covenant with him just as he did with Isaac and Abraham before him, okay? So the church fathers have a lot to say about this image, this dream, and kind of the symbolism behind what is happening, okay? So the first uh, symbol is the stone that Jacob is sleeping on, okay? The, the fathers speak about how this stone represents the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh, right? And the incarnation of the Lord from heaven to earth. St. Augustine, he says, in that stone, we comprehend Christ, put at his head, being the head of the church, then that stone was anointed as Christ was also called as he is the anointed. So it's like you have in the dream, the Lord God at the top of the ladder, and you have the stone that Jacob is lying on at the bottom, okay? So it's like representing the incarnation because God is in heaven and he comes down and is incarnate on the earth, okay? So the church sees that the stone that... Um, Jacob is sleeping on represents the Lord Christ in the flesh, okay? The ladder, okay? The, the ladder that Jacob saw in the dream represents the cross because it is through the cross that Christ lifted us up to heaven, right? So it is through the, the, the death of Christ on the cross that we have salvation, that Christ lifted up to heaven. So it's like the ladder that allows us to go from earth to heaven. Right? It is through the cross of Christ that we are able to go to heaven, that the doors of paradise were open, that Christ went into Hades and he took out all of those who were in Hades, brought them up to heaven immediately after his death on the cross. So that's what the cross, that's what the ladder represents. St. Jerome, he says, I believe that the cross of the Savior is the ladder seen by Jacob. On that ladder, the angels were seen ascending and descending. On that ladder, namely the cross, the Jews were descending and the Gentiles were ascending, right? So he's saying it is through, it is at this time on the cross that the Jews lost their status of being the people of God because they rejected Christ. And it is on this cross that the Gentiles gained the status of being the people of God because they accepted Christ, right? Because in the Old Testament, the Jews were the people of God, right? And so... At the time of the cross, the Jews are the one that crucified him. The Jews are the ones who rejected him, okay, in the New Testament. 
So it's like they were descending, they were coming down because they, re they rejected the Lord. And at the same time, the Gentiles, who were originally the people who were far from God, became now the people of God. The church became now the people of God that is now ascending up to heaven. Also, St. Jerome, he says, he saw angels ascending as, as he saw Paul ascending and angels descending as he saw Judas the traitor falling down. He saw saints ascending from earth to heaven, and he also saw angels descending, namely the devil and all his hosts falling down from heaven. So in that sense, um, anyone who is ascending is like anyone who is drawing closer to God. Like, for instance, St. Paul, when he went from being Saul to St. Paul, it is like he is ascending up the ladder, right? And anyone who was in heaven, namely, or, or you know, close to God, whether it be angels or whether it be like Judas who was one of the apostles who has now rejected God they are now descending down the ladder okay so that's what it means to move up and down and we also um, are on the ladder right we also are on the ladder we also can move up and down that ladder um, Saint Jerome he says the lesson we learn from the ladder is that it is not fit for the sinner to despair of salvation nor of the righteous to relax in peace concerning his virtue meaning we are always moving, we're always changing. Someone who is at the lower parts of that ladder should not lose hope because it is always possible to move up the ladder. And someone who is at the top of the ladder should not be self-righteous and prideful because of their position and status because it is always possible to move down the ladder. It's, it's, you never can be secure in your position. It kind of reminds me of like the game Shoots and Ladders. You know, in that game, like you could be very, very far ahead in that game and be about to win. And then right before you win the game, there's like the shoot that takes you all the way down to like the lowest level. And then no matter how low you are, you could land on a spot with a very tall ladder that takes you all the way up and you end up winning the game. This is why you, you never know. You never know what will happen until the very end. There are those who look to be so righteous um, that lost their salvation. And there are those who look to be so wicked that in the end were more righteous than anyone. This is why we cannot judge. This is why we cannot know. God is the end is the only one who knows and how he is going to judge all of us. And, and, and he knows the decisions that each of us is going to make at any point in our life, right? We should not look at any one person and say, this person has no potential. By the grace of God, anyone can grow to become a saint. Like St. Moses the Strong, who, you know, was a murderer, who was a glutton, who lived a life in complete separation from God, he became a monk and a saint, a miracle worker, right? And no one could have looked at him before and said, oh, this person can, is eventually going to become a saint. No one would have believed it. And there are those who live their lives, you know, uh, you know, in apparent sainthood or sanctity, right? And they ended up falling and losing their salvation. Someone like Judas, for instance, as as St. Jerome mentions here, who was an apostle, who was one of the 12 who lived with Christ who did miracles like all the others, who did everything, and yet in the end, he betrayed the Lord and lost his salvation. So we are on this ladder, and we should always be mindful and be careful because we might slip at any time and come down the ladder ourselves, okay? should not be complacent, but also we should not lose hope. If we find ourselves that we are sinners and we want to change our lives and we want to grow in God, there is always an opportunity and there is always forgiveness from God that we can grow in him and that we can be restored again to him because we still have a chance. And this is what the image of the Jacob's Ladder teaches us.
Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on it. This is why when St. Jerome uh, or St. Saint, uh, uh, Augustine, when he was speaking about the stone, and how the stone represents Christ in the flesh because he was what anointed. It says, then that stone was anointed as Christ was so called as he is the anointed. anointed. That's what the name Messiah means. Messiah means the anointed, right? Messiah means the anointed. So it's like this stone that represents the Lord Christ in the flesh was anointed because he is uh, the Messiah. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been Luz previously, or Luz. So Bethel is a Hebrew word that means house of God. Eel is God and Beth is house, okay? So uh, Jacob named that place Bethel, and that place continued to be called Bethel in Israel from generations after that point, okay? Um, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in His way, in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I may come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And the stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So here Jacob is making a vow with God. And he's telling God, God, if you restore me again to my house in peace, then I will always obey you and worship you. And uh, this pillar uh, will be like the, like a house of like the house of God, and that I will give you like a tithe, like I will give you a tenth um, of all that I have. Okay. Um, so this is the story of Jacob fleeing to uh, Haran and the story of Jacob's ladder, which is maybe a, a famous one that many of us have heard. Okay, this is the end of chapter 28, so let's just conclude in a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, God, for this day and for all the blessings you give us. Teach us, O oh God, how to live our lives in consecration to you, seeking, O oh Lord, after what is good and what is right, speaking, seeking after the spiritual things and not the earthly things, seeking after the things of eternal value and not those of temporal value. Guard us, O Lord, from sin and temptation and help us to know, O Lord, that at any time we can rise and go up on that ladder and draw closer to you, but not to be haughty, but fear, lest, O Lord, we fall down back that ladder again. Teach us your ways, O God, preserve us, strengthen us, and grant us our salvation. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you.